I'm Dr. Walter Malone Jr., founder of WM Ministries. I want to thank you for joining me for this segment of Tailored to Win, that I might share with you some insights that can inspire, inform, and empower your life. I am teaching currently this year on this particular theme, Kingdom Discipleship. I'm doing a teaching on kingdom discipleship what does it mean to be a disciple of the lord jesus christ and then what is the role and the responsibility of the church to carry out the mission that god has entrusted to us and that is to make disciples of every person who comes to know jesus as lord and savior and i want to direct your attention today to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. We want to look at verses 13 uh, through 20. And we're going to look at this passage not as a verse-by-verse study, but we're using this passage as an example for what Jesus did with his disciples and others in a relational environment to help them to become disciples. Matthew 16, beginning with verse 13, reads like this. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Amen. We're studying about discipleship which is one of the most important studies that we could be engaged in as a congregation because it is speaking to the very heart of the mission and the vision of the church. Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, said to the early disciples that they were to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age. That is unquestionably the vision of the church. It is the marching orders of the church. It is the mission of the church. It is that which gives authenticity, integrity, and meaning to who we are. Being a Christian is not just saying, I believe that there is a God. Being a Christian is not just that we belong, quote unquote, to a church as an institution, 
and we have a religious good time on Sunday and then go back home and do it all over again the next week. But being a Christian has to do with being in an authentic relationship with God in Christ. And out of that personal relationship, we seek to walk in God's will and in God's way, both individually and collectively as the people of God. I think that <clears throat> perhaps the failure in our lives individually and maybe even collectively as a church or churches across this nation is that we come far short of what God's intention is for our lives. How many Christians individually, men and women, have been satisfied with hanging around God, but not walking with God. How many of us as individual Christians have been comfortable, satisfied with being religious, if you please, but not really seeking to understand what God's will is for our lives as Christians, and then serving God as it relates to his kingdom. I think that many church people may be guilty of using God or trying to use God or trying to pimp God, if you please. That, that, that God primarily for them is about helping me to fulfill my own personal aspirations, my own personal success. Um, one of the most inspiring Christian books that was written in our day and time was written by Rick Warren. Uh, those of y'all could come over this way, please. Was written by Rick Warren entitled The Purpose Driven Life. Wonderful book, Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Life. Rick Warren is the pastor of the Saddleback Church in California. But I think a lot of people who read the book misread it, misunderstood its purpose because they read the book and interpreted it to speak of personal success. How do I accomplish my self-centered goals? How do I reach my time-limited aspirations? But Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, was not focusing on success. It's really speaking to us about living a life of fulfillment. And you can live a life of fulfillment if you live your life in a purpose-driven manner where you seek to please God. And it is in pleasing God that we end up with a life of fulfillment. And so, when God calls us to make disciples, it is to help us to bring people to Christ and then help those persons to grow up in Christ so that they can live a life of fulfillment because they're gonna live their lives in a way that's gonna be both fruitful and faithful to Christ. We understand individually that discipleship is about my following Christ. 
And in following him, I seek to obey him and to be the person that he has redeemed me to be. Now, we are focusing currently in this study then, if the church is to help people to become disciples, how do we do that? How can we as a church be successful in being obedient to what God has called us in Christ to do. The good news is that when you study the life and ministry of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels, Jesus <clears throat> gives us a model. He gives us a spiritual paradigm that we can follow, that we can implement, and if we do it the way Jesus did it, we certainly will be faithful in what God has called us to do. So in our study on last week, we said that when you look at Jesus, here's the model. You see intentional leadership. You see discipleship done in a relational atmosphere and a process that is repeatable. You see intentional leadership you see um, discipleship carried out in a relational environment and a process that is repeatable. If you take intentional leadership plus a relational environment plus a process that can be repeated, it will equal infinite disciples. That means that if we do discipleship as a church, not by accident, but we do it intentionally, we develop disciples in a relational context and we keep repeating the process, that means that we have the capability and the capacity to bring hundreds and thousands of people into a saving relationship with Christ. Jim Putman, has written a wonderful book entitled Real Life Discipleship. Real Life Discipleship. And in his book, he really explains in a very detailed manner how we can be obedient to Christ and to the model that he has given us. Now, I just spoke to you about intentional leadership, relational environment, and a process that can be repeated. For the next couple of weeks, we're taking that model and now looking at it with more specificity. So last week, we looked at it in terms of intentional leadership, that Jesus didn't do anything by accident, he did it on purpose. So as a church, when we talk about we're going to make disciples, we're not just doing it by happenstance. We're doing it because we purpose to do it. We're doing it with intention because we want to be obedient and faithful to what God has called us to do. Therefore, we put together a system. We put together a system. We put together a structure. We have a vision. We have a process by which we want to do what God has called us to do. At Canaan, we say everything that we do is centered around discipleship. 
If it's not helping us to make disciples, then we don't want to be doing it. Everything we do is about discipleship making. All of our ministries are about how we make disciples. And particularly when we talk about our Christian education ministry is that our Christian education ministry is designed in such a way that every person in our church can be touched, can be taught, can be transformed, and then can be commissioned to go and reach others for Christ. So we have a structure in place. We have a system in place. We have a vision that we're seeking to carry out, and the vision of our church is based on the Word of God. Because you're students of the Bible, you know that the Bible declares where there's no vision, the people perish. Now, relational environment, that's our focus today is that as we look at particularly and specifically what Jesus did, last week we said he did it intentionally. Today we're focusing on the fact that he, he produced disciples in a relational environment. So in the text that we use today for our biblical basis for the study, Jesus is talking to the 12, he's talking to the disciples. And he raises the question, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? They say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, Elijah. Then Jesus goes on and says to them, but who do you say that I, the son of man, am? He's not talking to a crowd of people. He's not talking to a multitude. He's talking to the 12. It's a small, intimate group of disciples. It's very relational, meaning question and answer, meaning engagement. He can engage them. And when he asks this question of them, then Peter responds and says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says to Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my father, which is in heaven. Listen to how intimate this setting is. Listen how close it is. He's with the 12. There's dialogue. And then Jesus goes on and says, and your name is Peter, and upon this rock I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'm using that story as just one example. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are many other examples where Jesus was teaching people to be disciples, and he did it in a relational context. He did it in a relational context. He taught them by parables. He taught them with stories. He taught them with real life episodes and situations. Sometimes Jesus used the Pharisees and the scribes, religious people, to show them what a disciple is not. 
Then he took people like um, uh, persons who were of low esteem, like the um, a tax collector who came humbly before God in prayer, or he uses the widow's might to teach a lesson about people who placed their all on the altar. He performed miracles, and in the miracles, they became object lessons for the power of God. He used different methods and different means, but everything he did was about teaching them to become disciples of Christ. It was in a relational context. So today, for the church, when we talk about how we make disciples as a church, listen very carefully to what I'm about to tell you. If in order to make disciples as a church today, we cannot be really fruitful as we need to be by doing it simply on mass, on mass. Meaning, we cannot, we cannot make disciples as we need to make disciples if the only time we're getting together to impart truth into people's lives is Sunday morning in the sanctuary. That's on mass. That's too large of a group. Now, that is not to say that Sunday morning worship is not important because Sunday morning worship is important. We all need to come together and worship God on mass the whole church as a collective group of people because every Sunday we're coming to give God glory, honor, and praise for his goodness and his grace in our lives on a continual basis. We come together on Sunday morning for worship because God is worthy to be praised. We come together on Sunday morning for worship because the songs of praise, the prayers that are prayed, become a rich blessing in our lives. And even on Sunday morning, as pastor is teaching, I am imparting truth to us as a congregation, as a collective group of people so that we are moving collectively together with spiritual symmetry. So on Sunday morning, I am not teaching the word of God to make anybody shout. I'm not teaching the word of God to simply inspire you. If you can think, you can shout. Amen. But I'm teaching the word of God on Sunday morning to cast vision to the house, to speak into this house, to speak into the congregation collectively the word of God and what God is saying to us as a collective group as a church in terms of his will for us as a church and the direction that he's given us so that we can continue to move forward as the men and women of God together. And um, we ought to just thank God that there's bread in this house amen that's collectively but then after Sunday morning worship to really make disciples effectively we need to break down into smaller groups 
into smaller groups. At the Canaan Church, we do this through our Christian education ministry through the Connection Group Bible Study. The Connection Group Bible Study. And those Connection Group Bible Studies puts us into different age group categories. Age group categories. And those different age group categories then puts us with other people in community who are moving along the various stages of life. And as we move along these various stages of life, then the Word of God is helping us to continue to grow and mature and speaking to us in terms of where we are at those various stages of life. Hallelujah. So, on Sunday morning at 8.45, we all are going to come to the church facility before the mass meeting of worship in the sanctuary. And for an hour from 8.45 to 9.45, we're going to be in smaller groups studying the Word of God. Amen. Then, on Wednesday... We're then in a smaller group on Wednesday, not as large as Sunday morning. Uh, now it can become as large as Sunday morning as we get everyone here, but then we're getting word again. So we got word on Sunday morning at 8.45 to 9.45 in the small group Bible study. And then we get word at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning through pastoral instruction. And then on Wednesday, we get word again on Wednesday at 11 o'clock a.m. for those who come in the daytime, 7 o'clock p.m. for those who come in the evening. That's word again. And then on uh, the first Saturday of each month, the women come together, just women, in the women's Bible study at 10 o'clock. The men come at 9 o'clock for a Bible study, just men, on the first Saturday at 9 o'clock a.m. So we're getting word several times. Hallelujah. Every week we get in word Sunday morning, 8.45 to 9.45. We get in word again at 10 o'clock on Sunday. And then by Wednesday, we need some more word. So we're getting word again at midweek of the service. And then thank God, when Sunday comes, we're getting word again. Amen. Now all of that word is to help you to understand how to read the Bible, study the Bible, and meditate on the word in your home, even by yourself. Physically, how would you feel if you only ate one day a week? Not once a day, but one day a week. If you only had one meal one day a week. I'd venture to say that you would famish.
If you only ate one meal one day a week, you'd famish. I would venture to say that you, start, you would start having some serious health issues if you only ate one meal on one day a week. If that's true physically, what would make us think spiritually that we are healthy if we only eat one day a week? If the only time you are allowing yourself to be spiritually nurtured and strengthened in your walk with God is Sunday morning at 10 o'clock and you ain't trying to get no more word until next Sunday at 10 o'clock, that means spiritually you're only eating one day a week. That means spiritually you're gonna suffer from spiritual malnutrition and spiritually you're gonna be famished. Well, let's listen to Jesus. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So I'm saying to us as a church body, everyone that's with me this morning and study, and those of you who are joining with me virtually, that at the Canaan Christian Church, we believe that people need to be fed spiritually during the week, during the month, multiple times so that we can be spiritually healthy and spiritually whole. And then at the Canaan Church, we believe and we thank God that in our worship service on Sunday morning, it's word up that everything we do is preparing us to receive the word of God on Sunday morning and what God's going to speak into this house through the angel of this house. But then after Sunday morning, we think it is vitally important that every member of our church be present, be a part of the Connection Group Bible study because it puts us in a smaller group setting where we can be spiritually nurtured with the Word of God. In the Connection Group Bible study, what you are able to do is you're able to build relationships. You're able to build relationships. We've got 2,500 members on our church roll. That's what we say who belongs to Canaan right now. It's about 2,500 people. To be a part of our church in a way that's meaningful, you don't have to know all 2,500. You don't have to know everybody. But you do need to know enough people that you feel a sense of belongingness. And in the Connection Group Bible study, what happens is you are able to forge and build relationships with people that you did not know. I'm not talking about building relationships with people that you have an affinity to or that you have already known through the years. I'm talking about building new relationships with people that you did not know at first, 
with people who you may not have some direct affinity to, but people who you understand this is a brother or sister made in the image and likeness of God, and he and I, uh, she and I, we are on a spiritual journey together. So I thank God for the new relationships that God is blessing me to experience where now I can help him or her or they can help me to encourage me in my walk with God. The Bible says two are better than one. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. Let me tell you something that's real deep right now. Can I go like real deep on you? As quiet as it's kept, we need God and we need one another. If you want to know what is the greatest mistake, or at least one of them, if you want to know what is one of the greatest mistakes you can make, as a so-called Christian, is to try to go through this world anonymous. Is to try to go through this world by yourself. You become easy target for the demonic. The devil loves to find church people who are so arrogant. I don't need God and I don't need nobody else. I can do this by myself. You getting ready to have pain like you don't know. We need God, we need one another. And in the Connection Group Bible study, you forge, you build significant relationships with other people. In the Connection Group Bible study, and this is on the same line, we don't come to the Connection Group Bible study just for ourselves. It's not self-centered. We come to let our presence be a source of inspiration to others that it's important that you are here. And it's important that I'm here because we give affirmation, we give confirmation of the importance of our spiritual growth and development. Have you ever heard the phrase, more is caught than it is taught? Did I say that right? Yeah, that more is caught than it is taught. Yeah, have you ever heard that phrase? That, that more is caught than it is taught. When you come to the Connection Group Bible study and others come, what you're doing is you're showing each other the way. You need a clue. You need somebody to say this way to give you direction. So our coming together becomes a confirmation to one another in the Lord. Now in the Connection Group Bible study, we learn the word. Yeah, we learn the word. Yeah. And it's, we learn in it in engagement. In engagement. You want to know what the difference is between 
Sunday morning when I teach as opposed to like this setting and even more so in the connection group Bible study setting? Do you know what the primary difference is? Is the primary difference is engagement in an intimate way. Like uh, my brother here a while ago and I said, we get the word in the Connection Group Bible study. What did you say? He said, hallelujah. See, he's engaging. Now on Sunday morning, I like that kind of engagement. In days past and gone, in the black church experience, we call it call and response. Because in the black church tradition, you just don't sit there when the man of God is de delivering the word. If I'm on point and, and, and that word is going forth with power and is reaching you and blessing you, right? It's, it's normal for you to say, amen. Hallelujah. Preach, pastor. Say it, man of God. Stand on your feet. Wave at me. Holler, right? Am I right, brother? Huh? Talk to me. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Teach, pastor. Yeah. But now what ain't going to happen on Sunday morning is I'm teaching, right? Then he raises his hand. Pastor, I got a question. <laughs> That ain't gonna happen. <laughs> we ain't gonna have no question and dialogue time on Sunday morning. Amen. We did have a sister one time in Canaan. We had to help her. You know, uh, ushers had to say, "Excuse me, we need to go out south and talk." Because I'm teaching the Word of God, and she got to talking. I know you're right, Pastor, because you understand. In my life, when I was coming up, I recall. I mean, she just went on, <laughs> just started carrying out. And I said, "Okay, God bless your sister," but I'm I'm trying to get this word out. I know, Pastor, but I think about David and where God. And then the ushers said, "Baby, come with me for a minute." <laughs> You had to tell it. this is not question and dialogue on Sunday morning. That's the difference. But in the Connection Group Bible study, there's a teacher presenting word who's going to say, how do you see this? Do you understand this particular point? And then you get to what? Respond. Or you raise your hand and ask a what? A question. Do you know what happens when you ask the question? Do you understand, you're going to ask a question that somebody else wanted to ask. Or you're going to ask a question and the answer to the question is not just going to bless you, but it's going to bless everybody else in the room. Or you don't have a question, but you raise your hand to say to an instructor, I like to give this perspective or I like to give this response to what we're studying today. And then when you make your comment or give your response or what you feel led to share in the class, what you share blesses somebody else in the class. So the blessing of the Connection Group Bible study is that in, an, in a relational environment, there is what we could call intimate dialogue. Intimate dialogue. And disciples are best developed in a context or an environment where there can be intimate dialogue. Oh, you understand what I'm saying? Okay? So in the Connection Group Bible study, when we get into smaller groups, there is relationships that are forged. The Word of God is being taught in an intimate setting 
engagement, question, dialogue, comments. So you're growing in the Word of God. Then the other thing that happens in the Connection Group Bible study is community is built and we are evangelistically reaching other people for Christ. So you invite people to come with you to the Connection Group Bible study who may be unchurched or unsaved. Somebody might be a Christian, but they're unchurched. They've been out of church for a minute, but they're trying to find their way back. Or someone has never professed hope in Christ, but they come with you to the Connection Group Bible study and they are hearing the word being taught in a context that's relational and then they're able to see other Christian people who are walking with God and when they see you walking with God and they see your commitment, they say to themselves, there's got to be something to this because here are people in front of me. This is not in the sanctuary. This is in a smaller setting that I'm able to relate to. And the way the word is being presented, I can connect with this because they're scratching me where I itch. And through the Connection Group Bible study, we can bring people to Christ because we can introduce them to Jesus in a setting that is comfortable for them to receive him. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So three things are going to happen in the Connection Group Bible study. One is that we're going to strengthen our relationship with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So we're building community. Number two, what's going to happen is that we are growing individually and we're growing together as Christians because we're being taught the word of God and we're being taught the word of God in a, um, in a context that is integritous, that has accountability, and where truth is being shared. Amen. And then the third thing that's going to happen is that we're going to evangelistically bring others to Christ. Are y'all getting this? Okay. All right. And what I'm saying to you is that as a church, in order for us to continue to grow as God wants us to grow and really make disciples, we've got to do it beyond Sunday morning. In many churches, people are just satisfied with seeing someone walk down the aisle on Sunday morning in the mass worship service. The angel of the house, the man of God, the woman of God teaches a powerful word or preaches a powerful word and people respond and walk down the aisle and other people are sitting back saying, well, I think that was marvelous. I saw 10 people, 20 people join church this morning. I didn't have anything to do with it, but I saw people walk down the aisle. If we're not careful, ladies and gentlemen, that becomes showtime. God's house is not about a show. God's house is about worship. The question is, what are you doing as an individual, Christian man, Christian woman, through your walk with God to be obedient to what Jesus told us to do and for which he modeled before us himself. 
Disciples, disciples are best made in a smaller group setting. And that's why the connection group Bible study is so important. For us at Canaan, that becomes a system, a structure, wherein we're following Christ, and not only will it bless us to make disciples, but it also enables us to keep up with and to keep our hands on every person who belongs to the church. Because as a disciple, you are always growing. You're always being developed. You're always being transformed. Now, let me take you just a little bit further. And I'm, today what I'm going to do, and I'm just, I'm just going to mention these three things today uh, because we're getting close to time. And I'm going to come back and do part two of this study. I'll do it next Wednesday. But this is still under this study on creating a relational environment. Are y'all still with me? So here are the three things I want to mention. I'm just going to mention it today, but we'll go into it in depth next Wednesday because it's just I don't want to run through this, and I want to do it with some thoroughness. And that is when you look at Jesus' ministry, you will see in the relational environment, you'll see the importance, one, of shepherding, shepherding, number two, transparency, and number three, accountability. What is the first one? Shepherding. What is the second one? Transparency. And what is the third one? Accountability. All right? Here is my concluding statement for us today. I have had the blessed privilege to be the founder and pastor of the Canaan Christian Church. In September, I'm going to celebrate having pastored this church for 39 years. What a blessing. If the Lord lets me see it, next year I will have served as pastor of this church for 40 years. Next year is going to be a very special year for me if the Lord lets me see it because next year I'm going to have a double celebration. Sandra, next year I celebrate that I will have been preaching for 50 years. I'll celebrate having been preaching for 50 years and pastoring this one church, Canaan, for 40 years. Next year, if I see it, I'll be 68 years old. So that means if I've been preaching for 50 years and I'm 68, and I've been pastoring this one church for 40 years, it literally means that I will have given my life to the Canaan Christian Church. It's been a a rich blessing to be the founder and the pastor of this church. And God knows the Lord has brought us from a mighty long ways. Julie Johnson is one of our charter members sitting right there. Of course, my wife is a charter member. And when we started the Canaan Church, we didn't have no place to have church. No place. We didn't even have an offering bucket to put the offering in. We started with nothing but each other and God. Ninety-seven people and no place to have church. First worship service was held at Magazine Street Seventh-day Adventist Church 
on Magazine Street, Jackie Cuba, she's sitting there. She's a, one of our charter members. Look where the Lord has brought us from. 2,500 people, this beautiful facility. When we started out, our church was experiencing tremendous growth. And part of that tremendous growth was cultivated by other people helping me to develop disciples. So in the early years of this church, God blessed me to develop what we called lay ministers. Lay ministers. And we put people into tribes. And every tribe had a couple of lay ministers. I read a book by a gentleman by the name of Sutherland, and Sutherland talked about lay shepherding. Lay shepherding, which means lay people helping to shepherd the flock. As the pastor of the Canaan Church, I am a shepherd. I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd. Jesus Christ, you know, to be the chief shepherd. So I have the responsibility as a pastor to shepherd the church. But a healthy church, a healthy church, is a church where the laity in fellowship, in fellowship, in vision, and following the pastor as he follows Christ, the church helps me to shepherd the congregation. Did y'all hear what I just said? The church what? Helps me to what? Shepherd the congregation. Now we're gonna build on that next Wednesday to talk about what does that look like in terms of lay shepherding? What does it look like in terms of transparency? And what does it look like in terms of accountability? But let's just close the lesson today by saying, it's not just the pastor's job to produce disciples. It is the whole church's responsibility to help produce disciples. We do it best in a small group setting. So I'm encouraging each of you to be committed to the vision of this house, to be present and to be a part of the Connection Group Bible study on Sunday morning and the other times of study, and that in your commitment that you are reaching out to other people in the church family and lovingly encouraging them to join you in the study on Wednesday, to join you in their various age group Bible study in the Connection Group Bible study for their age group on Sunday morning, and let's keep producing disciples the way God would have us to do so. Amen? Amen. Thank you for sharing with us today for this segment of Tailored to Win. I pray that this word has brought encouragement and empowerment to equip you to live a faithful and fruitful life to the glory of Jesus Christ. 